0: There you go. Yes? Yes. Morning, friends. Great to see each one of you here today. Special welcome if you're a guest from out of town visiting. Great to have you with us as well. Um, tomorrow, I will be headed out of town to Mississippi to a pastor's conference. Um, so, in the uh, next Sunday, uh, we'll uh, be able to hear from Pastor Brian. has been preparing messages on the book of Job, and uh, so I know you'll look forward to hearing Brian preach uh, from Job, in particular on Elihu, one of the main characters in Job. Um, Let me invite you to open your copy of God's Word to Romans chapter 8. Some regard this as their favorite chapter in the Bible. Some call it the greatest chapter in the Bible. I heard one person say that if they could only have one chapter in the Bible on a deserted island, it would be Romans eight, because it uh, describes our salvation from beginning to end. It is indeed a great chapter uh, and a great part of the book of Romans, and we want to zero in on three verses in this passage today. Um, but uh, to um, see these verses in their context, I want to read uh, what leads up to it. So. I'm going to start in Romans 8, uh, 1 and read through verse 11. If you don't have a copy of the word with you, there should be one under one of the chairs in front of you. I encourage you to grab that and follow along with us. Romans 8, 1 through 11. There is, therefore, now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. God's holy and inerrant word. May he bless what we've read, and let's ask for his help Once more, as we dive into these verses, do help us, Christ Jesus, uh, give us attentive minds and hearts, uh, open our eyes and ears to your truth, Uh, send your spirit afresh to illumine these three verses for us, strengthen my throat and enable me to preach clearly, Lord God. Uh, We entrust ourselves to you, please teach and feed us this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. So, Christy and I have been uh, recently watching a ridiculous TV show called The Masked Singer. Uh, We watch it toward the end of the day when we're tired and need mindless entertainment, and believe me, The Masked Singer is the epitome of mindless entertainment. Uh, I cannot, I confess that when watching this, I am not redeeming the time. features assorted celebrities wearing these massive ridiculous costumes to hide their identities and one at a time they come out on the stage and perform a song while a panel of judges tries to guess their identity. Eventually the audience votes for their favorite and the loser has to take off his mask and reveal himself or herself to everyone. Well it would be a stretch to call verses 9 through 11 Paul's version of the Mass Singer. But they do lead to a similar result as that show, because these three verses in Romans 8 reveal who we truly are. Romans 8, 9 through 11 reveals who we are in Christ. They reveal who we are as followers of Christ by disclosing three truths about believers and about you if you've trusted Christ. The truth about our past, the truth about our present, and the truth about our future. So let me ask you the same question that we hear on that TV show so often. Who are you? Well, the first truth that God's Word reveals is the truth about your past. Um, This is something that happened to you when you turned to Jesus as your Savior and Lord. This is something that happened to you when you first became a Christian. Uh, Let me mention two things here in your past. And the first is that when you and I came to faith in Jesus, we became part of a new realm. We became citizens of a new kingdom. Verse 9 again says, You, however, are not in the flesh. Before we came to know Jesus as our Savior and Lord, you and I were in the flesh. We belonged to the realm of the flesh. Paul's not using the word flesh the way you and I often do as referring to human skin. Paul uses this word flesh to refer to our sin nature. Um, The flesh refers to our corrupt and unredeemed selves, our sin-dominated self, our sin nature. Before we came to faith in Christ, we were... In the flesh, as verse 9 says. We have lived under the direction and control of our sin nature. And that's what Paul describes right above this. Glance up to verse 5 and listen to his description of what this kind of life is like, the life in the flesh, the life dominated and controlled by our sin nature. It says, for those who live according to the flesh Uh, meaning those who follow the promptings and direction of their sin nature. Uh, It refers to those who live under the control of their sin nature. It says that these set their minds on the things of the flesh. uh, They have an absorbing interest in the things of our sin nature. uh, Their sin nature preoccupies them and drives them. Verse 5 goes on. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. On the other hand, there are those who follow the promptings and direction of the Holy Spirit and are preoccupied and driven by the Spirit of God. And and then he goes on to say, look what living in the realm of the flesh leads to. In verse 6, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. To be preoccupied and driven by your sin nature leads to spiritual and eternal death. When we belong to the realm of the flesh, when we're driven by our sinful nature, it leads to a death-like existence um, in this life and also in eternity. Uh, It leads to eternal punishment uh, in eternity. And Paul concludes in verse 8, Those who are in the flesh in that realm, cannot please God. This is where you and I used to live. We used to live in that realm. Sin dominated and drove us. We were preoccupied with sinful things. But all of that changed when you put your faith in the atoning death of Christ, because verse 9 says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Now. The Spirit of God uh, directs and controls us. Now we're alert to spiritual realities. Now we're preoccupied and driven by the things that the Holy Spirit produces. Now we're under the Spirit's direction and control. Someone explained it this way. The direction of their life is determined not by the flesh, but by the Spirit of God. This double statement is made as a statement, a fact of their actual situation, which has been brought about by God. In other words, it is true whether you can feel it or not. It is a fact that if you have trusted Christ, you are no longer a resident of that old realm. You're a resident of a new realm, of uh, you are now in the Spirit. Of course, there are times we all admit, and I admit, uh, we're tempted to live that old way. But the fact is, when we came to faith in Christ as our Savior and Lord, we uh, entered this new realm. Listen to Paul uh, describe it in uh, the book of Colossians. Um, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. As a follower of Christ, you no longer live under the control of your sin nature, you live under the control of God's Spirit. So, not only, though, do we belong to a new realm, we also have a new resident. And by that, I mean, there is a new, someone new has come to live inside of us. Look at verse 9 again. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Uh, The word dwells is the word that we need to take note of there. It's a key term. It it means, pretty much as it sounds, to live in, to reside in, to dwell. You call the place where you live your dwelling. And what this is telling us is when you came to faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit took up residence inside you and continues to live there. Now, I don't know if, if we've been Christians for so long that this just puts us to sleep, but think of it this way. The third person of the Trinity has come to reside inside you, and that should be, blow our minds, that he dwells in us. Why, this is what Jesus promised to his disciples. And in John 14, he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, capital H helper, to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. This is also what Paul is referring to in this verse in 1 Corinthians 3. Um, Do you not know that you are God's temple, and this refers to us both as individuals and as a gathered body, you are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in you. He repeats this in chapter 6. Uh, the Spirit has become, as one writer says, a settled, permanent, and penetrating influence. Wow. This took place, according to the Bible, on the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit descended on the disciples' Of Jesus as flames of fire. But now look at what Paul says, uh, the Spirit uh, came to live in you at the very moment you trust in Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Because of the last part of verse 9 says this, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. It's a very important sentence. There is no one out there who is a Christian and who goes without the Spirit of God. If you have trusted in Christ as your Savior and Lord, the Holy Spirit lives inside you. It is the distinguishing mark of an authentic believer is is this possession of the Holy Spirit. A genuine Christian has a new resident living inside of him or her. And that's God's Holy Spirit. And if God's Spirit lives inside you, there will be evidence that he lives there. There will be signs of life that he lives and indwells you. Listen to God's word. Describe these signs in Galatians 5. You're familiar with these. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Oh my goodness. You know, if, if uh, we were to flash our, our lives on the screen behind me, I, first of all, I would be, I wouldn't go for it. Um, we all blow it from time to time. Um, but the thing about it is, if you claim to know Christ and follow him, does your life show these in, in increasing amounts? Haven't you known people who, who, who say they've been a Christian for a long time, and are some of the grouchiest people on the planet? that should not be. And it should not be because the word gentleness and kindness. And so, if, if you know Christ, and His Spirit really doesn't live in you, there should be signs of life in your dwelling that He really and truly is there. And among them are these things. If there was a um, a story about a, the king of a particular country who was away often from his castle. But one day, a man working out in his field glanced up at the palace and, and said to his friend uh, next to him, it looks like the king is home tonight. And how do you know, he asked. And he pointed toward the, toward the royal house because when the king is home, the castle is all lit up. The castle is all lit up. When the, when the Spirit of God takes up residence in you, there will be signs that he is at home, that he lives there. Uh, there will be evidence that you belong to a new realm. There will be evidence that you have a new resident living inside you. So I ask you, is that the case with you? I mean, it's Easter Sunday. There's a lot of different people here. This is, for some of us, the only time of year you come to a church. And so I just want to ask plainly, you claim to be a Christian. I mean, we're in the South. We're practically all Christians, right? (laughs) But would your kids see any of this in you? Wow. Oh, don't ask my kids. Okay, well, ask your wife. Please, Lord, no, don't ask my wife. I'm picking on the guys now, but it goes the other way too. Are the lights on? You that claim to know Christ as your Savior and Lord. So the first truth about you, of who you are in Christ, is the truth about your past and every believer's past. When you came to know Christ as your Savior and Lord, when you put your faith in the atoning death of Jesus, you became part of a new realm, the realm of the Spirit. And a new resident came to live inside you, the Spirit of God himself to dwell in you. That's the truth about your past. But let's go on next to see the truth about your present This is is a biblical reality for you and me today. This is what the Bible says is true of every believer right now. There are three things about your present that I want to point out here. The first thing we find is that Christ is in us. Look at verse 10. But if Christ is in you, uh, in verse 9, we saw that the Holy Spirit came to live in us at our conversion. But here in verse 10, we discover that Christ is also in us. He's in us through the indwelling Spirit. Christ himself is also present. This is regard in regard to his divine nature. So put on your thinking cap for a, just a second. Christ was completely human and completely divine. He wasn't 50-50. He was 100 and 100%. Fully divine, fully human. No, I said he was human over here, and he's divine over here. Fully human, fully divine. His human nature, where he is physically, we know scripture tells us that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. With regard to his divine nature, through the Holy Spirit, He also indwells every one of us who know Christ here today Uh, through the Spirit. He describes this in John 14. In the upper room, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Paul says it again in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He does this. He indwells us through the Holy Spirit. So we see the first thing about our present is that Christ is in us. This is true of you now. If you know Christ is your Savior and Lord, it doesn't matter if it feels that way or not. It's true. The second thing we see is that our bodies are mortal. This we're very familiar with. Uh, Our bodies are mortal. They're subject to death. Verse 10 goes on to say, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, by dead, Paul means that our bodies are subject to death and will eventually die. They're as good as dead. Unless, of course, Jesus returns first. Unless Jesus returns, we will all eventually experience death. And Paul says this is because of sin. He's referring to Adam's sin in the garden. Because of Adam's sin in Genesis chapter 3, all of creation has been subject to death and decay. And let me just stop here and say Genesis 3 is not poetry. Genesis 3 is narrative. It's not a metaphor. It's not a picture. It's a description of what took place. It's, it's uh, anyway, yeah, it's, it's the real deal. It's in vogue to not believe that Genesis is literal uh, anymore. Um, but we are subject to death because of Adam's sin. And Paul mentions this in Romans 5. He says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Adam was our representative of the human race. And, you know, uh, I'm sure we have all voted him out of office as our representative Um, but because he was uh, the representative of the human race and he sinned in the garden, death eventually comes to us all. Our bodies are subject to death and decay. This is the second thing we see here that's true about our present. But there's one more thing, and this is really key, and that is that the Spirit gives life. The Spirit that came to live inside us, we looked at that in our past, now infuses our lives with spiritual life and energy. So reading further in verse 9, you, however, are not, uh, uh, verse 10, excuse me, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. The Holy Spirit who dwells in believers is a source of life he is a source of spiritual energy and vitality our physical bodies are subject to aging and decline and death but the holy spirit that dwells in us is constantly renewing us giving us fresh energy to pursue christ and his kingdom he is uh, churning in us the rivers of living water that Jesus describes in John chapter 7. And he said this in in John 6, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Uh, The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And then earlier in this chapter, Paul said, For the law of the Spirit of life. And so the ESV study Bible says this about it. The presence of the spirit within believers testifies to the new life they enjoy because of the righteousness of Christ that is now theirs. This is the third thing true about your present uh, is that the spirit who indwells you indwells you and gives you renewed spiritual life and energy. He is a constant source of of spiritual life, a spring of living water, as Jesus says in John 7. This is the truth about our present. Christ is in us through the ministry of the Spirit. Our bodies are mortal, subject to decay and death, but the Spirit gives life. Uh, So that leaves one thing left, and that is the truth about your future Your future. Uh, This is what Paul tackles third. And what a glorious future it is. We see the truth about our future in verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Again, uh, as we've seen with our past and our present, the Holy Spirit plays a crucial role in our future. And like before, the truth about our future is based on, is conditioned on, relies on the Holy Spirit taking up residence in us. This must be true of us that he lives in us for this fact about our future to be true. So if we've turned to Christ in repentance and faith, if we've put our faith in his atoning death, We know for a fact that the Spirit has come to reside in us again because of that phrase in verse 9 anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Well, so then having trusted in Christ and having God's Spirit living in us what is the truth about our future? The second half of verse 11 has this He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you the truth about your future is that you will be raised from the dead in the same way that christ jesus was raised from the dead it's an amazing thing and and paul look at what he says he's specifically referring to to our physical bodies, our mortal bodies, our bodies subject to decay and death. Our physical bodies will be resurrected just as Christ's body was. God the Father will raise us anew through his Spirit. Our physical bodies will be raised from the dead through the Spirit, through the Spirit's work. I think this resurrection is what Paul is describing in 1 Thessalonians 4. I think that 1 Thessalonians 4 is simply a fuller description, an expansion of the resurrection he's talking about here in verse 11. Uh, Let me read that passage uh, to us in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, if you want to follow along there. And so he writes, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. And that's a a figure of speech, a polite way of saying who are dead. That's common in the ancient world, not just among Christians, but among pagans. Sleep, um, death was referred to as sleep. So he's talking about people who've died and have been buried, of course. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. In other words, as Christ returns, he is bringing with him those who have died ahead of us. Uh, they will accompany him on his return. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. In other words, if we're still living when Jesus returns, uh, those who have died, their bodies will rise from the grave and they'll go first and we'll go second. Are you with me? Oh, it's tough. Verse 15 again. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. We who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first that is those who have preceded us in death our loved ones our our Christian heroes who are already dead and in the grave they will be resurrected their mortal bodies will be resurrected and their mortal bodies will be reunited with their souls that are coming with Christ I don't know what it will look like Uh, Um Yeah, I don't know what it'll look like. (laughs) The dead in Christ, those in the ground, will rise first, be resurrected first. Then, we who are left alive, we who are left standing there, we who have not died before he returns, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore encourage one another with these words. And so the resurrection of Christ gives us a massive load of encouragement. Your physical body will be raised if you if you die before Jesus comes, your, your soul will immediately be with the Lord. Uh, to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. Your body, however, goes in the ground until Jesus comes back and the dead in Christ rise first and your body and soul are reunited. If we die before he returns and our bodies are placed in the ground, that's what will happen. they will be be raised from the grave, they will be changed to look like Christ's glorious body, and they will be reunited with our souls. They'll be raised, renewed, and reunited. But if you're still around when Jesus returns, your body, that's not buried in the ground, still united with your soul, will immediately be transformed into the likeness of Christ. In the twinkling of an eye, you will be given a glorified body just like Jesus has and meet the Lord in the air. Listen to Paul describe it. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. In other words, we're not all going to be dead by the time Jesus returns. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. Those who have died ahead of us will be raised and transformed and we shall be changed Where is your sting? (laughs) Now, we might not understand everything about our body and soul being reunited when Jesus returns. And that's fine. But we can grasp this. When Jesus returns, those who have died already will be resurrected just like Jesus was. And this is a great source of hope for us. All those who have put their faith in Jesus' atoning death on the cross will be raised from the dead like he was and spend eternity with him. Peter put it this way. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is the truth about your future. It is a glorious future. Uh, That if we die before Jesus returns, our bodies will be raised just as he was. So, who are we really? Who are you really if you've trusted in Christ? Uh, Romans 8, 9 through 11 contains a, a great unmasking and reveals who we truly are in Christ. And Paul reveals three truths about who we really are as followers of Christ uh, the truth about our past the truth about our present, and also, lastly, the truth about our future. There was a fairly well-known pastor named uh, Dr. Harry Ironside. He was the pastor of Moody Church in Chicago from 1930 to 1948. He was once uh, traveling in California. He was on a train in Southern California one Saturday when a gypsy woman got on and sat down beside him. Now, if there's a better word for gypsy, I'm sure there is now. Forgive me, I don't know what it is. Hungarian, American, or I don't know. Anyway, a gypsy got on and sat beside him. How do you do, gentlemen, she said. You like to have your fortune told? Cross my palm with a silver quarter, and I will give you your past, present, and future. Are you very sure you can do that, Ironside asked? You see, I'm Scottish, and I wouldn't want to spend a quarter and not get my full value for it. <laughs> the gypsy was very earnest. Yes, gentlemen, she said. I can give you your past, present, and future. I will tell you all. Ironside then said, It's not really necessary for me to have any fortune told me, because I have, I've had it told already. It's written in a book, and I have the book in my pocket. The gypsy was astonished. You have it in a book, she said. Yes, said Ironside, and it is absolutely infallible. Let me read it to you. Then he reached in his pocket pulled out his New Testament and began to read from chapter 2 of Ephesians, which we read earlier today. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature children of wrath. That is my past, he said. The woman had been startled when he pulled out his New Testament from his pocket and now tried to get away. That is plenty, she protested. I do not want to hear more. But wait, Ironside said. There's more. Here's my present, too. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. No more, the gypsy protested. But, said Ironside, you must hear my future. And you're not going to have to pay me a quarter for it. I'm giving it to you for nothing. It says in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And by now the gypsy was halfway down the aisle with the train saying, I took the wrong man. <laughs> Our text is different from Ephesians three uh, 2 and the details vary uh, from what's said in Ephesians 2 but it's, it's essentially the same idea Uh, we all have had our past and our present and our future altered. And all altered because of Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection and because of the Spirit who has come to live in us. So, friend, if you're not sure whether you know Christ as your Savior and Lord I would love to speak to you after the service. If you want, or you can talk to one of our deacons, elders, uh, any one of our leaders would be happy to talk to you. Those of you who, who know Christ, well, so are the lights on? You know, we can't slip back into those old habits. I'm asking you, are the lights on? Can people tell? Is there smoke coming out the chimney? Is that new resident uh, who has come to live in you, is he bearing fruit in your life? And those of you who know Christ and have experienced these things, you have great hope for the future. Because if you should die before Jesus returns, you will be resurrected. I believe it was Charles Spurgeon who said he hoped he could die before Christ returns because he wanted to experience the resurrection. Let's pray. Jesus, we're thankful for all that you have obtained for us. Father, thank you for Christ, our mediator. Thank you for sending your son to pay for our sins, and thank you for raising him from the dead by your spirit. Thank you, Spirit, that you have come to take up residence in us, that you indwell us, that you influence us and control us. May we submit to how you lead and direct our lives. In Jesus, we ask all this in your precious name. Amen.